Okay, what's up everyone? This is Good Morning Liberty Live, and I'm sitting here with Jim Babka. Babka? Babka. 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 Okay. Yeah. Depends on what part of the country you're from, maybe. Are, what, are you from north or I south? I don't know. I've pronounced it that way my whole life. Okay. Okay. Babka kind of sounds Babka. like maybe you're from Minnesota, but Babka... Not far. I mean, we don't have that accent. We're Ohio. Okay. So there's okay. less accent. We actually, actually in Ohio, we like to say we have no accent. No accent? Everybody else has the accent. I think everyone says that, I'm pretty sure. Oh. Uh, from where I'm from, we say the same. So are you suggesting, you suggesting I might be wrong? <laughs> yeah. Where my family's from, we say the same thing, man. We don't have any accents. All those other people <laughs> that got that accent. So anyway, uh, tell everyone, what you've been on the show how long ago? A year? Yeah, I think a it was a more? year and a half ago. We met at Freedom Fest. I got COVID. You got COVID? No. You didn't get COVID? No, I, uh, not from Freedom Fest. Okay. Mine came a little bit after. Okay. Yeah, well, was, I got it with everyone else at Freedom Fest that got it from going to the... Yeah, it was rough, and then something... So we had to cancel, then something else happened, and then we finally got to talk, and here we are in person, like we should have been time. the last time. First time. So uh, tell everyone what you do. Lots of things. Okay. Uh, so I have been a in the full-time uh, libertarian nonprofit space for over two decades now. And uh, I started out with uh, my first full-time job in, in, in the movement was press secretary for Harry Brown for president in the year 2000. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I've been working at some uh, phase. Uh, I went through a political phase where I was working in campaigns, obviously. And then I evolved into working on issues and policy. We took a case all the way to U.S. Supreme Court. And then I started an organization called Downsize DC in 2004. Uh, we're famous for the Read the Bills Act, the Write the Laws Act, and the One Subject at a Time Act. And uh, we had, you know, people were giving congressmen the directions every day from there. Uh, and then uh, around 2012, 13, started uh, the Zero Aggression Project started to get more philosophical. So I'm going from, from partisan politics to electoral uh, uh, solutions to policy and lobbying, and then starting to get into what is the philosophy underneath all of this. And now I'm finally climbed to the top. I'm, uh, I'm in kind of the spiritual matters that are going on uh, with a podcast called Grace Archie. But to make my living full time, I consult with a number of different organizations, thanks to, to one uh, philanthropist in particular who makes it all possible. I work on a lot of his projects. So I'm helping uh, organizations that he's supporting uh, get their uh, get their stuff together, get their message out, using the experience that I've developed over a career uh, to coach, to provide vision, strategy. Uh, I'm a writer by trade, so even content. So when it comes to the policy side of things, and we'll and then we'll uh, we'll talk about your podcast on the policy side. Um, how difficult is it to actually make change in uh, some of these areas where it seems like? Uh, we just get more of the same all the time. Is it just easy? Like, oh, you got a new bill. Let's uh, let's change the system. Or is it kind of tough? My 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 answer is going to be yes. Okay. <laughs> and and, and I here's, agree. Okay. I actually, it should be easy. It should be relatively easy. Um, in a, in an election, one of the things I, I learned very early on, you have to win a majority of the vote, or at least the the, the largest plurality, depending on the race. You have to win that. And, that, and that's when everybody's the most, lo the highest level of participation occurs, let's say in a presidential election. And it's the place where you have the least amount of influence. But very few people visit their legislator's office. And we believe at Downsize DC, we set up a program called the Agenda Setters Program, that if 300 people from a district would visit their representative, and this started happening in district after district across the country, in groups of, let's say, three, five, and six at a time, right? If they went and visited in wave after wave after wave and said one thing, we want one thing done, 
Those 300 are asking the same thing. A lot of offices would relent. It's that simple. Mm. Now, here's the problem. Uh, people are busy and they have apathy. And I don't mean that in a bad way. They have rational empathy. They don't want to do something that seems speculative, like it might not work. And so they choose not to act. Like in, inertia is a very powerful force, so I can get past it. And that apathy is driven by a sense of defeatism. Will it really work? Probably won't work. We've never gotten what we wanted before. And so I actually think it's possible uh, with a very small number to make this happen. We know... Uh, and this is dated now, this, this information may have changed, but there was a point at which 15 to 30 messages to a typical congressional office would generate an automatic form letter response. So that means now you're on the list, right? Mm -hmm. That issue is part of the thing that they know when they get an issue, something about that, they're going to respond to it. And the, I, uh, I think these congressional offices in particular need to hear from constituents and understand. They pay for polling, for example, but they have free data coming in in the form of who's lo uh, lobbying for stuff, who's asking for stuff, what are they asking for? And I imagine those numbers are counted. I know that they're counted and reported in some offices on a daily basis. we got this many on this issue, this many on that. So it really doesn't take much to begin having an effect, and I actually think not a, not a lot to actually get it. Now, I'm going on a little bit, but let me just tell you one more story. This just happened. This is breaking news right here. Okay. okay. You heard it here first. One of our bills is called the One Subject of Time Act. We've been working on it for a very long time. It's been sponsored every two years with each new Senate by Rand Paul. Most of the time, it's also been introduced in the House. At one point, we had 27 co-sponsors for the bill. You may recall earlier this year, there was a debate over who should be speaker. They went 14 mm. ballots before they, I think it was 14, before mm, they yeah. picked Speaker McCarthy. One of the issues that was at stake, Matt Gates, Chip Roy, Lauren Boebert, all talking about it on national television, on interviews, was our one subject at a time proposal. That every bill should be limited to one topic clearly described in its title. And uh, they made an issue of this. And uh, another, uh, uh, Andy Biggs from Arizona, grabbed the bill right away. He modified it a tiny bit, especially the title. I don't like that, but hmm. made it a rule. Now, rules don't have the power a law does, but he made it a rule. And when they made the compromise, where they finally agreed that Speaker that Kevin McCarthy could be the Speaker, they put it in the rules. That was part of the compromise. It's not exactly what I want, but I'm going to celebrate every victory yeah. along the way. Yeah. And I'm telling you, this was done by an organization that's never raised more than $350,000 in a single year, and most years less than that. So it's possible to make that kind of progress. It and would be a lot easier if people would get over that apathy to do it. That's what I was going to say. That's the toughest part because uh, time is a valuable resource and, and you don't want to feel like you're wasting it. And a lot of people have the, the idea that things can never change. They're only going to get worse. And uh, is that something you talk about on the podcast, by the way? Or you discuss other issues with that? Oh, the podcast is called Grace Archie with yeah. Jim Babka. Governance by Grace, right? Okay. And it has uh, the so I'm I'm in the stage in my career now and my my life really uh, where I want to go even deeper and talk about the things that move me. And um, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a believer uh, that uh, my my relationship with Christ matters to me. And I, I don't mean this in a, in a preachy sense or maybe even the typical evangelical sense that you, you hear it. In fact, one of the audiences that's a target for me is a group called the Duns. So there's a movement amongst uh, in Christianity, particularly amongst younger people, called deconstruction, where they're questioning a lot of the things that where they were told, maybe that the earth is only 6,000 years old or whatever. They're questioning those things and, and saying, no, these things can't be right. And one portion of deconstruction is a group called that I like to call the Duns as in done with church. They're done with organized religion, but they still love Jesus. And they're looking to find ways to connect or maybe reconstruct what church is. 
and I have a special heart for those kind of people, and I want to talk to them because I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that was actually through a series of experiences that happened to me personally. And I am taking a secular libertarian audience that follows us through the Zero Aggression Project, an organization I founded in, in 2012, uh, that w- along with Perry Willis. Uh, it's a secular libertarian audience, but I'm sharing the, these, these, uh, a, a more spiritual approach. We're still talking libertarianism. But for me, there is a, uh, one of the significant things that hasn't been fully explored by church people, by religious people, is an anthropology of Christ. He was, one of the things that they believe in the faith is that he was fully man. What does that mean? How do you apply that? And what does it mean to a Christian's life and how should they live as a result of that? And it turns out it all leads to a place where we voluntarily cooperate with each other instead of use coercive force to get things done. And so I like to, uh, I'm, I'm marrying these topics. And so one, issue, one show could be very, very much about a particular policy like campaign finance reform or something where I have experience having taken a case to the Supreme Court or writing an amicus brief in Citizens United that we believe was decisive. Or it could be, uh, it could be something much more, uh, much more uh, theological oriented, but you know, it's kind of a blending of those things and talking openly and freely. And it's interesting to me that the secular audience that we have attracted through the Zero Aggression Project seems to be a bit more attracted to the spiritual topics we're covering. Hmm. So that tells me something maybe about the dynamic and where people are at in this time, in this post-COVID era. I think there's maybe something missing that a lot of people know yeah, that right yeah and they're trying to you know i think part of what might be missing is maybe some of the idols of like science uh, which was misused it was scientism of the of government which is statism like some of these things were supposed to provide all the answers and 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 then we were supposed to be able to trust them but they're finding out that a lot of their institutions including the religious ones have have been misused they're corrupted and that the, uh, by the people that are in them uh, power does tend to corrupt right and they are starting to say maybe this isn't the right way to go maybe there's something deeper more profound uh, uh, out there and so they are asking questions right now they are seeking and so I think this is a good time to have this particular discussion but I would like to see more believers be what I believe they rightly should be which is more of a voluntarist type of libertarian and I would like to see uh, um, um, more libertarians uh, open at least uh, interested yeah. if, if, if not actually a believer now I heard on Twitter at least that Jesus was a socialist you got any so <laughs> do they have any proof for that statement <laughs> because I, there's plenty of proof that he was I mean because that's what socialists want to do they want to help people you know they want to help their neighbor right so that's uh, what, well you know. close but you're leaving out a step step there's a there's a step that proceeds to help the neighbor part the part that makes them look good it's the part where they reach inside their neighbor's pocket and yeah. remove the money and <laughs> hand it to someone else right it's not their money that they're sharing you understand they take two dollars out of their neighbor's pocket take one of them and put the yes. dollar back and, in and their isn't that other very pocket. compassionate of them. Yes, yes very compassionate yes so yeah i always get interested when i see this but i do hear i i have read some valid critiques if you don't mind just uh, talking about this for a minute about uh, say Ayn Rand, Christianity and altruism is something that she was very much against. And I will say I've had a lot of conversations with a, a friend of mine about how I understand where she was coming from because uh, this extreme, uh, say, self selflessness and all, your highest aim being to help other people uh, could lead down the wrong could lead down the wrong path. And so, do you have any thoughts on? Have well, you read any? Have you heard any of what I'm Rand decided about I'm, that? I'm not sure ghosts exist either. <laughs> Unicorns. Yeah. Altruism doesn't exist. Okay. There's no such thing. Okay. Everyone is trying to be happier. They have some value that matters to them. 
So I, I insist that actually everyone is trying to strive to be happier, even if you could say, well, you know, I went over and took care of my mother-in-law, and she's a real battle axe, and every time I go over there, she makes me want to cry, right? A real battle axe. Right. <laughs> but it turns out that you're doing that what you're doing, because if you didn't do it, you would be less happy. Mm -hmm. you, your values matter to you. You, you. There's a certain story we tell ourselves about who we are, and we have to live up to those values, or we feel distress in our conscience and our spirit. So... Everyone is doing the things that they do. It's not, I'm, I'm not talking, so when I'm talking about happiness, I'm not saying eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow mm -hmm. we die. I'm saying that we want to have a sense of flourishing and well being. And so we try to make those decisions that we believe in the short term or long term. We may have to, there's trade offs, like, you know, sometimes I eat chocolate cake even if I shouldn't, right? Mm -hmm. so in the short term or long term, I'm doing the thing that I believe next will make, will maximize my happiness. And so, uh, I think that's completely true. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's anything to apologize about that. I'm not saying, by the way, that you won't find Christians that are going to preach altruism. I'm not mm -hmm. saying you're not going to find those people. I'm not saying that they're going to talk about selfless giving as if such a thing were possible. <laughs> um, what I'm saying is that that's bad, that's bad anthropology. They've missed Christ's message. What we're being asked to do as believers, Christian means basically little Christ, right? You're an imitator mm -hmm. of 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 the man who came and died for you, right? That's who you're imitating. So how do you do that? Right, so this is where we get into grace, uh, grace arche. Um, kindness is good, compassion is nice, forgiveness is a little bit better. Like when something's wrong, grace is that one step further. It's unmerited favor. It's that idea that somebody's done something that doesn't deserve to be treated nice, but you choose to respond not in kind, but in kindness. Right? I'm going to figure out. So Jesus talked about carrying the cross. Uh, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile. These metaphors are you don't repay violence to violence. And this is the, the first step towards, um, you know, we've got this really coarse, this great coarseness in our political dialogue. Politics is war. We shouldn't be solving problems this way. It's necessary in the first place that we start talking. So how do you go about doing that? Well, grace is that first step. Someone has to be the first person to say, I'm not going to return in kind. Instead, I'm going to ask you your deal. So there's a famous story from uh, ACLU history, uh, back when they really defended civil liberties consistently across the board, of the Nazis marching down the street in Skokie, Illinois. So just imagine, Nate, for a second, we talk about this theme on our show all the time. Imagine for a second that you are sitting there on the porch, on the street, where the parade is going by in Skokie, Illinois. You're in your home, right? You live in Skokie. And the Nazi parade comes over. Let's say you instead you make a pitcher of lemonade. Instead of throwing rocks, instead of hurling insults, you make a, some lemonade and you go out and you meet one or two of them and you invite them to come up on your porch and have lemonade. And so we literally talk about that as our metaphor. It's kind of caught on on our show of being able to sit down and have lemonade with somebody that doesn't understand you and you don't understand them and asking them a, an essential question, which is what we do pretty much all the time anyway, but this is, we don't usually do it with our enemies. Hey man, what's your deal? What's, what's up with you? Like, yeah. what are you doing? Tell me your story. Why do you see the world this way? I just want to hear it. I don't want to judge it. And in fact, when I start talking back to you now, instead of straw manning your view or talking about you and straw manning your view, I want to steel man your view. I want to, I want to respond and be a part of your best arguments, your best you. And I want to make sure that I can find the truth. Let's go on a quest for truth together. But I'm going to start by hearing you first and recognizing your humanity. And, it's at, and then when we start to do that, then that opens the door for part B, which is what all the libertarians here care about, which is the ability to remove the coercion. We can stop that and start seeking voluntary solutions to things. We can start to live at peace with one another. We may not end up 
agreeing still at the end of the day, but we see each other's essential humanity and we agree to stop using force to get our ideas across. We start using persuasion and voluntary cooperation to achieve uh, solutions to social problems. So you're really going all the way down to the root of the problem here instead of Go. just, I think it is. I think it is if you really want to change things. If you if you really want to grow the movement, you got to go down to the roots. Yeah. And uh, so I love that. This is the kind of stuff you talk about on the podcast all the time? Podcast. That's great. I'm definitely In fact, gonna... we had a, uh, you know, last year at uh, Freedom Fest, I went and saw a presentation by Dwayne Lester, who's with grassroots, the Grassroots Training Program mm-hmm. that's put on by Americans for Prosperity. And uh, uh, he has this great talk that he does about how to have a political discussion with family and friends without starting a fight. Right? Yeah. And so we had him on our podcast. It's one of our two or three most listened to episodes because he actually gave practical tools. Step one, do this. Step two. If step two, to, if step three is not working, go back to step two. Like he, he gave those things out. He laid those out. Uh, Dwayne Lester did in one of the episodes of Grace, one of the early episodes of Grace Archie that we did. And, uh, and people responded to that. They, there was a lot of viral activity on that particular mm-hmm. uh, video. I'm assuming he didn't recommend calling someone an idiot right off the bat. You know, a forbidden thing surprise surprise (laughs) yeah we found that uh it's it's much better to ask questions and try to understand where someone's coming from and also try to find common ground as soon as possible uh, so you can build from there and then they'll actually be receptive to what you're going to say not really into hero worship or anything but there was one guy i really wanted to meet here at this event and that was a couple days ago there was uh daryl davis and daryl was uh uh he's a, a a black man he's a blues musician and uh he uh he has uh 24 25 26 i don't know what the exact number is clans robes in his closet because they've given them to him because he starts off i've heard of him yeah (laughs) starts off with but it involves listening people want to be heard that's the very first one they want to be heard he listens first and he goes and talks to these people and he becomes their friend Mm-hmm. And not all of the people that he's talked to over the years have changed their their attitudes or their behaviors, but they've changed their attitude and behavior towards him, and they have deep respect for him, and they've heard him out, and they've softened, and some have completely walked away and, and deconverted from being in the Klan or the Nazi movement or whatever. And that, to, he's, to me, he's a living role model of the thing that I'm talking about. It's the step that's going to precede our ability to end coercion, the coercion of the state. We have to begin talking to one another and understanding our values. I'm over here at uh, the, uh, a booth. One of the projects I'm working with is the Foundation for Harmony and Prosperity. Mm. And we're trying to help people match up their values with their ethics. Mm. So values are the things that you personally believe. They're the way that you view and look at the world. And ethics are how we interact with one another, right? How we behave with one another. It's just more of a social question. A value might be conservative. A value might be progressive. And we got plenty of people to, and even amongst libertarians, there's some who lean more conservative or some who lean more progressive, right? Um, we say we don't want to change anything about that. Be you. Be as progressive as you want. You think the environment's the biggest concern? You know, you go do something about that. Keep keep working. Conservative, you want to protect our preserve our institutions. You know, you keep in the family or whatever. You keep doing that. You be you, right? But it's in that ethics question. In politics, we seem to forget that this is how we behave every day with everyone we're walking around with. We don't use violence to get things done. We don't coerce others. 
we can choose persuasion as our ethic. And that's the, that has to do with the philosophy of human respect that we're sharing out of that booth. So to me, these ideas, they're not just, they're not just married to each other. One leads naturally to the next. I'm, as, I'm bold enough to suggest, I'll go further than most people will on this question. I believe God is a libertarian. I believe that there's an arc. It starts in the Bible. You can see it in history. It's very empathetically drawn. We are expanding our empathy for one another. And, it, and, and you know, for example, we've gotten rid of slavery. Right. It doesn't mm-hmm. say in the Bible, thou shalt not enslave. Mm-hmm. There were people that were actually using the Bible to say that slavery, right? That was a misuse of it. We know that in hindsight now, and that process is still ongoing to this present moment. There will be a point where the lion lays down with the lamb. So that's where we're working towards. To me, uh, we have to get to a point where nobody uh, dominates over one over another. Jesus told his disciples he didn't want them to be like the Romans, where one one has authority and dominance over another. And our system of politics, Nate, is based on dominance of one over another. We're looking to dominate one another. Well, Jim, tell everyone where where they can find your podcast, uh, where I can find your podcast, probably everywhere that you get podcasts, I'm betting. It is pretty much everywhere. So our main place that most people are coming is because they can watch it is on uh, YouTube right now. And uh, we are at Zap the State. We just moved there a few months ago. Uh, Zap the State, Z-A-P, as in Zero Aggression Project. We like to say Zap the State and have a nice day. I like that. And uh, uh, every podcasting platform, Spotify and, and, and... Okay. Pandora and so on. All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time. I'm glad we were able to actually talk in person. Been fantastic. All right. Thank you.